Welcome back to your favorite sports podcast, All Good Points. I'm your host, Ricky Gray Jr. Three trending teams were poised to gain ground in their division, but it seems each of their opponents had something different in mind. So what happened to these guys? Was it bad coaching? Maybe too many mistakes? Or was it a combination of both? Moving on, the NFC East is going to be a tight race to the finish, but the Cowboys have won their last two games, and with Alex Smith being done for the season, it's going to be hard for the Redskins to hold their lead. Can Dallas swoop in? Or can the Redskins create some magic and win the division for the first time since 2015? Last but not least, it's getting close to fantasy football playoffs, so let's take a look at the top performers of the week, top waiver wire pickups, and players to steer clear from. It's all sports, all players, and all good points. Now let's get to it. All right, so let's go ahead and start with the Indianapolis Colts versus the Tennessee Titans. Tennessee came off a huge win over the Patriots last week, which I was at. So the smart bet was that they'd be able to roll right over the Colts. Unfortunately, that's not the way that it went. And it was a division game that they lost. Since Houston is sitting at a pretty pretty solid record at 7-3, and three, not to mention a fairly easy schedule, the Texans will probably hold this division. But there is a silver lining for the Titans they have a fairly easy schedule as well. Besides playing the Texans next week, you know, which is going to be a tough game, but let's take a look at the stats between the Titans and the Colts. Now, this is this is something that's kind of interesting. Tennessee only had three points in the first half. Now, if you look at Tennessee when they played the Patriots, they came out firing. Their first drive ended with a, with a pass from Marcus Mariota to Jonu Smith and the back of the end zone. Touchdown, easy peasy, lemon squeezy, right? But this time, they come out and they stall. Now, to me, I'm, I'm thinking at this, you know, super, super logical because I'm watching the game going, okay, this is obviously not the same offense that I saw in person the last week. Instead, this is like the offense from like 2000 and like 14 where they're struggling to move the ball down the field but if you look at who's on the Tennessee offense you know you've got Derrick Henry who I'm not even going to get I'm not even going to get into that but why is Derrick Henry not getting any touches I don't understand it I don't think the fans understand it but that's neither here nor there but they got Deion Lewis a good a good out of the backfield kind of back he's He's not a north-south, he's an east-west kind of guy. He likes to run tosses and stuff like that and maybe get uh, pet, catch passes out of the backfield and, and things like that. But you got Marcus Mariota, a good quarterback that can actually make plays with his feet. However, he's not doing that. Then you've got Corey Davis, a guy that I think is a stellar wide receiver, but wasn't highlighted at all in this game versus the Colts, right? So the offense is there. And then their defense isn't bad, but their defense is there in this game. Their defense got put on blast because of how often they had to be out there, not because their defense is bad, but because how often they had to be out there because the Tennessee offense couldn't get the ball rolling. Now, Matt LaFleur came in and I, I think it's funny because a lot of people thought Matt LaFleur was going to be the savior for the Tennessee offense. That's not true. You can't get one offensive coordinator, and we'll go into a couple other offensive coordinators along the line, but you can't go and get one offensive coordinator and think that's going to revamp the whole offense. That's not how football works. These guys still need to learn to learn the playbook, but why wouldn't you use the same game plan you did against the Patriots, who have a better defense than the Colts? Why wouldn't you just use that? You know, you don't need to run all of these, 
these silly plays that just go nowhere. I mean, you've got negative yardage. You get three points in the whole first half. I'm sorry, I have to say it. The game's over. If you don't score in the first quarter and your team starts to fall behind, you don't have the firepower to get into that shootout where you get a comeback win. You just don't. So you have to be able to score early and score often. Now let's take a look at first downs. The Colts had 26 first downs. Tennessee, 16. Now, it's it's one of those things where you could be like, oh, well, it's, you know, a 10 first down difference. No, 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 no. That's a huge, huge difference in first downs. Okay, if a team is able to have 10 more first downs than you, that means that they extended their drive 10 times more than you, which equals what points. That's the way that it works. You get first downs, you're inevitably going to get points. Total yards, the Colts had 397. Tennessee came in with a measly 263. It's just it's it's interesting because I do like Tennessee. I like the way that they play occasionally, but they are such a streaky team that you just can't trust them. I made a smart move in not starting Marcus Mariota because, you know, there's a thing about Mariota. If he has one good game, he's probably going to have a really bad game the next time. He doesn't have consistently good games. That's just the way that it goes. Third down percentage. The Colts went 5 for 10, sitting at 50%. That's pretty good. Tennessee was at 6 for 14, 43%. Now, that's one of the things where... It's not a horrible third down percentage. It's really not. But it's just the offense wasn't on the field enough for that, you know, percentage to actually turn out to something positive. Let's talk about turnovers, though. Mariota threw two interceptions. This is what I'm talking about. Mariota being a very streaky player, whereas Andrew Luck threw zero interceptions. Now, look at that. Okay, he throws zero interceptions versus Marcus Mariota's two. They lost the turnover battle. That's just, that's the end of it, okay? Penalties. Tennessee had eight penalties for 112 yards. The Colts had seven penalties for only 60 yards. Now, you doubled their yardage in penalties. That's not where you're supposed to double their yardage at. But look at T.Y. Hilton. T.Y. Hilton had nine receptions, 155 yards, and two touchdowns. Nobody on that Tennessee defense could stop T.Y. Hilton. Now, they went out, they got Malcolm Butler, and if I had a trash button that I could press every time I say Malcolm Butler, I would press it. You have Adoree Jackson. I like Adoree a lot. He was great at USC. I think he's a great ball player. I don't think that they need to try to put him on offense to kind of revamp their offense. I think that's stupid. Let the kid play corner. Let him play kick returner. Or, uh, yeah, kick returner and punt returner. He could do those. But let's not try to get the kid to, to go both ways. That's just, that's kind of stupid. But moving on, they have to play a very solid Houston offense. Now, that Houston offense is full of weapons. Weapons. You got Demarius Thomas now. You've got uh, DeAndre Hopkins, Alfred Blue. And then, of course, you got DeSantis. Deshaun Watson at quarterback but what we're talking about really when we're talking about Houston and Tennessee is Tennessee's lack of offense versus Houston's stout front four and I'm just going to talk about two of the people on their front four Jadavion Clowney J.J. Watt that's the end of the story this is when I tell you give Derrick Henry the ball Deion Lewis is way too damn small to be trying to run against these big guys let Derrick Henry do what he does and if and here's my thing If he has three carries for, let's just say, eight or nine yards, let's not completely take him out of the game and not let him touch the ball again. Why don't you you keep pushing it? Look at Adrian Peterson. We're just going to take it back a little bit. Look at Adrian Peterson. Adrian Peterson didn't always have the greatest yards per carry. He didn't always have that. But the one thing that Minnesota, Washington, 
basically Minnesota and Washington, the one thing that they did was they continued to feed him the ball until he got going. And that's the same thing you have to do with Derrick Henry. So what I want to see from Tennessee, if they're going to win, they need to get Derrick Henry going. They need to find a way to get the ball to Corey Davis. Make make Houston's defense think about you passing it. Because if they're if they're really only concerned with you doing dink and dunks and trying to run the ball, Houston's going to win that game. But you have to show them that you have a downfield threat, which you do in Corey Davis. You have to push the ball down the field and make Houston think. That's it. Indy's going to go on, play Miami. Um, I heard, I did hear that... Um, that Ryan Tannehill is going to be starting for uh, Miami. Now, that's kind of interesting because it'll be Tannehill versus Luck. Luck is kind of on a roll, so I kind of have to go with Indy there. So moving on, let's talk about the Panthers versus the Lions. Now, the Panther, the Panthers are a wing and a prayer away from winning their division, but a win against the Lions would have put them at 7-3 seven, seven and three and pretty much out of Atlanta's reach. Instead, Detroit was able to squeak out a one-point win against the heavily favored Panthers. Now, the Panthers' offense wasn't horrible, right? But the problem was they got going way too late. They scored once in the fourth, once in the first quarter, and they did not score again all the way until the fourth. Statistically speaking, it was a fairly even game, except for that. The key here was Detroit's defense was able to stall Carolina long enough just to hold on for a win, and they were able to create a drive that scored them points at the end of the game, which is really what you need to be doing, right? The the thing is. Carolina is going to go on to play the Seahawks and the Seahawks have kind of hit this pretty hot streak where they're playing really well together. So Carolina still has a has a tough game coming up. The 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 interesting thing was I feel like Carolina was in a slump after they got taxed by the Steelers and that's why they lost to the Lions. That's kind of what I'm thinking. Um Seattle's coming off a, a big win against Green Bay, but they have struggled against high-powered offenses. So Carolina's keys to victory, one, you need to pass downfield. Two, this is where passing downfield comes in. DJ Moore needs to have another big game. This last game, seven receptions, 157 yards, and a touchdown. You have to get Christian McCaffrey the ball. Also, last but not least, Cam needs to move in the pocket and start creating plays with his legs, just like Russell Wilson does. You have to be able to do that. Now, Detroit is going on to play the toughest, meanest, and stingiest Bears defense. So what can they do to win, right? If Carrion Johnson plays, he has to be targeted often. The defense has to be very, very stingy. Chicago runs a lot of gimmick plays. That's that's going to be big. They're going to use a lot of gimmick plays to open up lanes, passing lanes, running lanes, things like that. The offensive line needs to be nearly perfect. Matthew Stafford got sacked 10 times against the Vikings. It could easily end up being worse against the Bears. That's just, that's the reality of it. Speaking of the Vikings, let's talk about their stalled offense. Now, the Vikings had a chance to swing the division in their favor, but the Bears just flat out wanted it more. Their defense stifled Minnesota's run game early, which forced Minnesota into throwing, which did not work out very well. Kirk Cousins had a pretty hard time. I'm not going to get too hard on my boy. I still think that he threw a lot of good passes. He was he was flustered often, often, and he was pressured like constantly. Okay, now the Vikings slowly started coming back right up until Kirk Cousins threw a pick six, which essentially was the nail in the metaphorical coffin. But 
Enough about the Vikings' shortcomings. Let's talk about how they can move on, and the Bears might have their first division title since 2010. Now, the Vikings are tied at fifth for the hardest remaining schedule, with games against Green Bay, New England, Seattle, and the Bears still out there. The margin for error right now is at an absolute zero. Now, if you know anything about math, absolute zero is like the most zero you can have. One more loss, and they'll probably be looking at scouting reports for the draft because most likely they're not going to be in the playoffs with, with how thick the NFC is, okay? Now... I would I always say at this time of the season that it's a must win for every single team, but they really need to get the push going. Like if Minnesota does not get the push going, go six and zero, and actually staple themselves as a dominant team, they're just going to fall apart. Okay, John DeFilippo needs to do better on play calling, and Zim needs to stop waiting until the second half for the defense to show up. And I understand. Now let me just get into this a little bit. I understand that it takes time to figure out what an opposing offense is doing. Believe me, I understand that. The only thing I'm saying is that they were able to run so many gimmick plays on a defense that's been regarded as one of the best defenses in the league. You can't be called one of the best defense in one of the best defenses in the league if you get caught on gimmick plays 24/7. And it wasn't I don't think I saw one gimmick play that didn't work. Oh, it's a little end around. Oh, it's a PA boot. Oh, like why why are they getting why are they biting on this so hard? And Zimmer was in a press conference and he said that he doesn't know whether they're not listening to him or they just don't care. Now, unfortunately to me, that sounds like you don't have a very solid control of your locker room if your players aren't listening to you. And I do love I do love Mike Zimmer. I love the way that he coaches defense most of the time. But it kind of begs the question, is he starting to lose control of this locker room? He did go on to say a couple days ago after he said that he clarified it a little bit by saying that he went over the he went over the tapes with everybody and asked everyone in the room if they were listening to him. And they all basically replied with yes. And he asked them if if they don't care. And, you know, they all replied with no. So he wasn't saying that the guys didn't care about the um didn't care about the game, but what he was saying was that there was just a very serious lack of awareness there. Now, that's one of the things where you kind of look at it and you say, okay, yeah, lack of awareness, but we've played different defenses before, or different offenses before. We've seen these looks before. We We play the Bears two times a year, And when we played them last year, they were still running the same gimmick plays. So we really shouldn't have this issue of lack of awareness. You should know what they're coming out with. Not not necessarily knowing the play, but you should have a general idea of what they're going to be running, considering the fact that we've played them multiple times with, um, with them having Mitchell Trubisky and the guys that they do on offense. We should be able to figure out at least some of what they're doing. Now, it brings in another another, I guess, layer. Because with me, the Minnesota Vikings are like an onion. There's just multiple, multiple layers. On the outside, it looks like one whole group. But on the inside, there's multiple, multiple layers. Now, Minnesota has always had an issue of like playing down to their competition. Like there's times where I feel like they're just playing dumb. Like you have, you have seen this before. And if you've seen this before, you can stop it. 
And that's that's really just the way that it is. You know, you go down 14-0, and when you go down 14-0, I understand that you want to get the passing game going, but a lot of John D. Filippo's plays are just, I mean, sad. Like, just sad. One, you can't run these running back screens when your offensive line is getting taxed by the Bears. You cannot run that. It's stupid. And to force Kirk to throw that pass because he's going to get trampled if he doesn't is just forcing him to fail, okay? Now, of course, he could throw the ball right into the ground, but Kirk's a competitor. That's not what he does. He's going to try to make plays constantly, which is where his picks came from. And that that's something that he did in Washington, so I kind of understand where it comes from. But at the same time, Kirk needs to grow out of that. He needs to grow as a quarterback and understand that it's probably better to throw the ball away than it is to risk throwing an interception. The... The thing was, we were still in that game up until that last moment of him throwing the pick six. And I don't know what it is about seeing other teams celebrate like after something like that. Like that's where my bias almost just like rolls right in because I hate seeing that. But in their game, in that game, they ran the ball back for a touchdown and kind of, you know, just celebrated in the end zone right there. And I was sitting there watching that going, if you're the Minnesota Vikings and you're sitting on the sideline and you just watched that play, you've got to be pretty upset with the way that you played. Adam Thielen was quoted as saying it was another time that they let their defense down. Why are you having multiple times of letting your defense down? Like, where's, where is the issue? Like, what is John doing to show you guys that there is something going on here where people are figuring us out on offense too fast. And then more importantly, what are you going to do to change it? Because if you're just going to talk about how you let your defense down and you're not going to do anything to change it, then what's the point? I mean, seriously, what's the point? Now let's talk about another thing when it comes to the Minnesota Vikings. Dalvin Cook versus Latavius Murray. Dalvin Cook, I hate to say it, kind of has a fumbling problem. Like, there's been a couple of fumbles where I'm like, okay, dude, you need to be covering up, okay? That's that's just a fact. He also has these little short kind of, you know, dink and dunk runs where he's getting like three or four yards, somewhere around that, whereas Latavius Murray runs downhill all the time. He does not bounce around, and he's not afraid to go head up with somebody. There's a lot of times where I see Dalvin Cook, and I'm like, okay, well, he should probably just go head up with this guy. And instead, he tries to, like, you know, juke him up a little bit, and he ends up getting his legs taken out from underneath him. He's a big guy. I mean, he's not as big as Latavius Murray, but he's a big guy. So he should be able to take some of these safeties head up, you know. But that's not his style of running. But that's also why I say that Latavius Murray's style of running kind of fits the Minnesota offense a little bit better. When Latavius is going... That's a good time to bring in Dalvin Cook to get a little bit of a switch thing going on. You don't have to have Dalvin Dalvin start every time. You can switch it. If you want to have Dalvin on first down and then Latavius on second and third, I don't think that's a bad idea. It's not like Latavius isn't a good blocking running back. He's a great blocking running back. So why don't you have him in there on second and third down when most likely Kirk is going to be passing? Now, if it's a, a second and short situation, maybe you do have Dalvin Cook, but switch it up. Don't let these defenses figure out what we're doing so fast, okay? Now, we need to talk about Green Bay versus Minneapolis, or Minnesota, sorry. Um, Green Bay 
is sitting at four, five, and one, while Minnesota is sitting at five, four, and one. So this could be a swing really, really fast. So Minnesota has to win this game. Aaron Rodgers is, I don't want to say struggling, but he's he's not the same Aaron Rodgers that we've seen before. So Minnesota needs to take advantage of this opportunity to make sure that they actually shut them down, put them to 4-6-1, and one, and basically kick them out of playoff contention, especially if Minnesota goes on to win their next six games. So even though that sounds unreasonable because they'll be playing New England, um, it might sound unreasonable, but the Packers have been struggling really bad, and there seems to be a lot of like turmoil, turmoil and discourse going on in that locker room. So it's a very, very good time for Minnesota to step forward and take control, maybe play second in the NFC North, and then you know go on to hopefully get a wild card spot or something like that. That's all you can hope for at this point. The Bears, on the other hand, they have a very, very favorable schedule coming up. The only tough games I see for them is the Giants, Packers, and Rams. The only reason I see the Giants is because the Giants are actually playing really, really good right now. But the Bears are in the best position to win this division. That's that's really just a fact. And they flew under the radar. If you would have said that, if if someone would have came up to me at the beginning of the season and said that the Bears are winning, are, are going to be in the best place to win the NFC North, I probably would have slapped him in the face. Just because... I didn't think that they were that good. I didn't think that they could be that good. And I also didn't take into account their favorable schedule. I probably would have said it's going to be between uh, Minnesota and Green Bay because Green Bay was getting Aaron Rodgers back. Minnesota had got Kirk Cousins. So it kind of seemed like both of those offenses were going to be really good, but Minnesota had the defense to back it up. It turns out that Chicago has the defense to back up Mitchell Trubisky and the rest of the guys on offense. So... It's crazy, but at the same time, it's beautiful because there needed to be some sort of scramble in that division and give both of those teams, Minnesota and Green Bay, a reason to fight back. That's that's the fact, okay? But now what we're going to do is talk about the NFC East where things are really, really heating up. Washington had their hands on the reins in the NFC East. They were they were driving. They were, they were winning. They... They were doing a really, really good job to stay in front up until a very tragic injury happened to Alex Smith. Unfortunately, dude broke his leg. It was it was super nasty, like just one of the nastiest breaks that I've ever seen. So no more Alex Smith. But in comes Colt McCoy, a quarterback that was stellar in Texas. He drove down the field, scrambled for a couple of yards, and capped off his first drive with a touchdown through to the back of the end zone. It was great. Great play. I was actually excited for them because I thought that they might be okay. Unfortunately, Washington came up short on the next drive. They weren't able to win the game, falling to a 6-4 and four record with the Cowboys creeping up. Now, that was something that was unfortunate to see, but just like we say in football, accidents happen, things happen. You have to be able to adapt and overcome. That's what football is about. So they're going to be ro- rolling with uh, Colt McCoy. They brought in Mark Sanchez as a backup. I think that's a bad idea. There's a couple other people out there that I think they could have went for, but they're going to be going with Colt McCoy. I think that he could actually be pretty good. I think he could actually make a couple of good plays. I mean, it's kind of like that Case Keenum situation that happened in Minnesota. You know, Sam Bradford goes down, so they bring in Case Keenum. Case Keenum does a great job. All he has to do is basically be a journeyman, complete passes downfield, things like that. Scramble with his legs. He did that. So Colt McCoy is in the position to do those kind of things. Now, the Washington offense is a little bit banged up. 
you know, Paul Richardson, he's done. Adrian Peterson is dealing with a little bit of a shoulder injury, but he's still running hard. And for him to be running the way that he is at that age, it's just impressive. It's it's nothing short of amazing. You know, it's it's one of those things where you're rooting for a team just like I am with Washington. I am rooting for Washington. I like them. I think that they deserve to have a division title, but the Cowboys are creeping up. Washington plays Cowboys, plays a the Dallas Cowboys this week and the the Cowboys have a chance to kind of swing it in their in their favor but will they you know so you you compare offenses to offenses and you know the Cowboys have a better offense now because Alex Smith is down so the thing that the the Redskins need to do is make sure that they lean heavily on Adrian Peterson. So you make sure that he's healthy enough to go for the game. Give Colts some easy passes in the beginning. Get him used to it. Get him flowing with the offense, right? Then you then you attack downfield. Not in the beginning. You attack downfield once he gets used to it. Okay. In the meantime, you you lean heavily on Adrian Peterson because that's what he does and that's what he's done for so long. He's able to do that. Dallas, on the other hand. They need to push the ball downfield. They need to get those players going, right? Michael Gallup, Ezekiel Elliott, he, they have to get these players going. And when that stalls out, Dak needs to be able to make plays with his legs. But let's take a look at their upcoming schedules, right? Washington, they play the Cowboys, Eagles, Giants, Jags, Titans, and um, Eagles for the second time. Dallas goes Washington, Saints, Eagles, Colts, Bucks, Giants. If you had to compare the two... Both of them have pretty similar schedules. They've got some hard teams mixed in, but the rest of them they should be able to go ahead and take care of. The only the only issue there is what's going to turn out with them. Now, Dallas, I think, is actually going to beat Washington. I think they're going to lose to the Saints. They'll probably beat the Eagles. They're going to beat the Colts. They're going to beat the Bucks. They're going to beat the Giants. So I really only see them losing two of those games. The, Washington, on the other hand... I don't see them beating the Cowboys, but I do see them beating the Eagles, Giants, Jags, Titans, and Eagles again. So they could end up with like a very, very similar record. That's it's it's crazy to say that, but I actually think they could end up with a sim- similar record. Now, for the people thinking that, like you know, Philly actually has a chance to come back. I don't think they do. Um, I think Philly's going to have a rough go. I think they're in a Super Bowl slump. Um, I don't think they're going to be able to come back from it. So I do think that the division is really based between Washington and Dallas. Now, Dallas, I kind of see having the better overall team only because Alex Smith is down. But Washington could do something that surprises us. Colt McCoy could come in like a Case Keenum type journeyman and and end up, you know, making passes downfield and winning games and having game winning drives. He has that potential. So I'm not going to take it away from him. There's potential there. I like what I see. So hopefully Washington's able to stick it out and, and keep their hold on that division. But we'll be able to get a good idea with the game this week that they have up against the Cowboys. Now, let's cap this whole episode off with some fantasy news. Okay, so let's start with our top fantasy performers of the week. Coming in at number one, we had Tyreek Hill with 43.5 points. He's headed into a bye week. Number two, we got T.Y. Hilton, 36.5. He's playing at home against Miami. Look for him to have another big game. Number three, Patrick Mahomes, 35.9 points. He's headed into a bye week as well. And number four, Saquon Barkley had 35.2. He's going to be playing at Philly. I don't think that front four can stop him. So look for Barkley to have another big game. Now, How do you fit in to your upcoming playoffs and 
who could you pick up to fill the gap during bye weeks? Now, I've got three options there. Two at quarterback, one at running back. Starting with Dak Prescott, his own percentage is at 44.9, okay? He makes up for his low passing yards with rushing yards and quarterback touchdowns. Number two, Eli Manning. His own percentage is at 16.9. Let's look at his points, though. In week 10, he had 19.5. In week 11, he had 17.1. You're not looking for somebody to replace your regularly starting quarterback. You're looking for somebody to fill in the role of your starting quarterback. And with somebody that can get over 15 points, that's a good spot. You can't really be too angry with that. And he's filling a void for you. Whereas if you start somebody that maybe has a couple of streaky games or something like that, they could end up having an 8.8 game, whereas Eli Manning could have a 19-point game and probably put you in a better spot to win. Now at running back, I got Josh Adams. His own percentage is at 28.1. If you don't know him, he's a running back for Philadelphia. He had 13.2 points last week, and he's probably going to be the feature back for Philly due to the rest of their injuries. Now, he could be a really good fill-in against a Giants defense that gives up 4.4 yards per carry. But I've got some players that I think you need to steer clear from starting. Number one, Marcus Mariota. He's way too streaky, he has too many elbow issues, and his downfield accuracy is still a problem. Number two, Sammy Watkins. He's still dealing with that foot injury, and there's way too many weapons on Kansas City for him to get consistent looks. Last but not least, the Panthers' defense and special teams. They haven't had a game over 10 points since week one. The team as a whole relies way too heavily on Cam to win games for them, and their last two weeks... They, they scored one point against Detroit, and they had negative nine points against Pittsburgh. That's just ridiculous. Now let's finish it off with my picks of the week. Coming in, starting with the Bears and the Lions, I'm going to take the Bears over the Lions, Cowboys over the Redskins, Falcons over the Saints, Browns over the Bengals, Bucks over the 49ers, Jaguars over the Bills, Ravens over the Raiders, Seahawks over the Panthers, Patriots over the Jets, Giants over the Eagles, Chargers over the Cardinals, Colts over the Dolphins, Steelers over the Broncos, Vikings over the Packers, and Titans over the Texans. Now, I was harping on the Titans earlier, but they do play well against the Texans. I'd like to see them get a little bit more revamped, depending on whether Marcus Mariota starts or not, which I think he will. Hopefully, this is one of the games where he's not streaky and he actually plays really well. But there you have it. Remember to rate and review all good points on your favorite podcast platform. Use Thrive Fantasy when setting up your lineup to win big bucks. And until next week, make sure when you argue about sports to use all good points. I'll see you next time. The podcast you just heard was made using Anchor. Ever thought about making your own podcast? Anchor makes it really easy for anyone to get started. It's a one-stop shop for recording, hosting, and distributing podcasts. Best of all, it's 100% free. Sign up now at anchor.fm slash new. That's anchor.fm slash new to get started.